Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Infosuctions Code podcast. I'm Ohad Meislish, your host for today. Today, we have an amazing guest and open source veteran, Chris Beitreib. How are you? Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. <laughs> Can you tell our audience about you, Chris? Uh, so you just said I'm a veteran, which makes me feel old, um, but that's probably because I am. <laughs> uh, I prefer to call it myself experienced, but I've been in the open source communities, open source industry for the better part of the past three decades. Um, started out ages ago doing uh, open mosaics release management and being the open mosaics maintainer for a while. And then I went over to all kinds of different communities going from HPC to databases, been into MySQL, been into bit of left and right, everything. Uh, okay. And then about 15 years ago, doing more and more uh, infrastructure automation stuff, early days of CF Engine, VCFG to LCFG, and eventually uh, Puppet and all the other things. Um, while I also started to pretty fun conferences around the topics. Yeah, can can you tell us maybe more about the configuration management camp, maybe? Yeah, so config management camp is, is the lesser known conference probably I run. Um, mm. We only went global two times. We actually only had mostly running Gantt uh, right up mm. in FOSDEM. We took the idea of FOSDEM um, because FOSDEM was way too big, basically victim of its own success. Uh, the, the, the jokes are popping up already with, hey, room full um and, and that was really the problem we had we had an infrastructure as code development room at fosdem but we realized it was way bigger than what we needed uh so mm -hmm. we had the opportunity to fork out and get a very light uh, university college location at against university college and basically we, we run a continuation of fosdem for three more days but in ghent where basically we take about i'm not sure about what numbers we're going to have this year but last year we had 700 just short of 700 people who came to Ghent for I think which is still the largest open source infrastructure conference which is running in Europe and actually I don't know any other thing in, in the rest of the world that's similar to that uh, where all of the different communities meet um, I think we're going for our 10th anniversary now we have more than 10 editions because we also had an edition in, in Berlin and one in Portland some years ago um, but yeah, um, the idea of the event is basically that new and old communities meet that we have, and that's how we initially started. We we had a lot of puppet folks and then Chef came along and Ansible and CF Engine. And we basically were the event where all of those people were talking about their experience, learning from each other, and basically the cross-pollination between those communities and seeing how they could collaborate or how they could get ideas from each other and then collab and work together. That was what we really were looking at. And awesome. it's been going great for the last well decade, I guess. That's that's really impressive. And let, let's talk about open source because it sounds like you have some uh, some experience in open source. You know, when people ask me about uh, Terraform versus CloudFormation, uh, I think uh, a few years ago, CloudFormation was, was more dominant compared to Terraform uh, and Obviously, Terraform is different to CloudFormation for mainly two reasons. One is that it's multi-cloud, not just uh, for AWS. And the other that it's open source. I have a lot to say about, about open source and how it helps, but let me maybe start with asking, asking you, how much do you think it's 
uh, helpful for a framework to be open source? What are the benefits when something is open source? What what happens when it's open source? So, so to me, there's, I mean, you mentioned light formation. I never looked at it because it's proprietary. I cannot use it where I want. I cannot play with it. I cannot tinker with it. I cannot look at how it actually works or how it's being built. Yep. And I know that there's always, in this case, it's a vendor lock-in because you are buying or using a tool specifically that's only going to work for one supplier, for one vendor. Whereas with an open source tool, there's also open operability. There's also open standards. A lot of the open source tools are actually reference implementations of some open standards. And you'll find much easier that there's going to be a community of people not only using the tool, but also collaborating to how it's being fixed. Um, open source development, initially, ages ago, we jumped into the open source onto Linux because it was, well, let's face it, 30 years ago, you had two types of operating systems. There was one where you were rebooting every half hour, and then there was the one that was stable where you rebooted when you did the new kernel install. It was yeah. quality, it was performance yeah. over yeah, well, today it's not really correct anymore to say, but 30 years ago it was open source quality versus proprietary crap. I have Things to say, people. I have to say something, Chris. About 20 something years ago, I worked for Microsoft, and I'm not sure, but the rumors back then was that uh, uh, Microsoft.com is not running on uh, IIS, but it's running on uh, on Apache. But uh, I'm not sure if that's indeed the just a rumor, um, or was it the real thing? I never heard that rumor. I know that Hotmail was running on BSD and definitely not on Microsoft stuff and things like that. Ah, so, Hotmail running on BSD. That's funny. Yeah, Hotmail was running on BSD back then. Um, back then, we had the joke, like, if you shut off all the Windows servers in the world, some corporates are going to notice. But if you shut down all the Linux servers in the world, the internet is going to disappear. Mm -hmm. And that's 25 years ago. Yep. So what open source allows you to do is it's allowing you to build and contribute and build on top of what other people have built before. You don't need to reinvent the wheel anymore. You don't need to figure out the tiny details and, and maintain those things yourself. You can contribute and you have a group, a community that continues building on those while still actively maintaining the core infrastructure. Now, there, there's obviously different types of open source, because yes, there's this small little library which nobody maintains. And there's this small other library where there's this one guy who does it in his free time. But the whole variety, the whole ecosystem, we, we went from open source being the quality to open source being the marketing hype for a lot of companies. And that's when we started to get the open source, the open core, the, the, the people yep. who were jumping on a bandwagon because it was nice, because they could hire better developers. Um, and now we're getting to the point where there's organizations actively abusing either on purpose or by pure ignorance, the fact that they can just use something which is open source. And we see the reaction of a lot of organizations that are Sometimes what we see now is the evolution of a couple of those marketing-driven open source companies who don't like other people benefiting from their work. And because they were never really in it for the open source, never really in it for the contributions and for the community, they're now slowly closing down and 
going on to a different part. And that's something which is not really nice to see, but a lot of the times what we see is that those companies weren't into open source for the open source part, but were into it for marketing. Yeah, we, we, we're, we're going to talk about some uh, licenses, uh, switches and other things later on. But before we do that, you've mentioned that uh, being open source is uh, very helpful and interesting due to the fact that you're going to see a lot of contributions out there uh, that support this open source in the... Uh, uh, modules and other things that work hand in hand with the actual framework or with the actual package. Uh, if we zoom in on Terraform and Pulumi, you know, both are uh, open source. From your point of view, how do you see the reaction of the community and the contributions of the community to those two similar but different uh, concepts? I made a comparison to about 10 years ago, Puppet and Chef. Yep. Um, Puppet was a tool which was already a reaction to another tool, which was building a good community, which had a couple of things where you could say, well, maybe you could do this differently. Maybe you could try it another way. But it worked for a large group of people. Chef said, we're going to fork this, we're going to, well, not fork because it wasn't really a fork, it was a rebuild, but we're going to take a couple of those ideas, like I want a full language rather than just a DSL, and I'm going to take that idea and we're going to build something new with that. And what you saw is that there was a different type of audience, a different type of people using that tool. Uh, Papa and later Ansible was more the operational, the system administrators, the ops people, who were building infrastructures with that, whereas Chef was more the Ruby shops that were also needing infrastructure, where those people that were building the applications also took on a bit of the operational part because it was in a language they wrote anyhow, so they could reuse a couple of it. They couldn't really reuse, but they, they could reuse the mindset. They could reuse the language they were using, and they were building great things that way. And they could learn from each other. I mean, we were bridging the gaps between developers and operations by having tools that allowed people to write similar things. On the other side, in the top of the ecosystem, we had people who were contributing tests and patches. Um, I had development teams where ops people, ops people wrote the code and the developers actually wrote the tests in their own language. It worked. And what we now saw with, with Terraform was similar. Um, the thing that Pulumi wants to do or wanted to do or still wants to do is giving people a full language. And to me, that's the same difference between Puppet and Chef is now happening with Terraform, well, Tofu and Pulumi. I, I'm, I'm going to keep saying Terraform because this is still about the Terraform history, but obviously not what I want to use these days. Um, so the, the other weird part is both Pulumi and Chef, which city where they found it? Mm -hmm. There's something in the water there. <laughs> They're both from Seattle. That's funny. I'm thought about this way. Uh, you know, uh, uh, another thing that no, so the, the real question is: the real question is, mm -hmm. which tool is going to be the Ansible? What do you think? I haven't seen it yet. Because mm -hmm. that's the winner. Yeah. 
not on a technical point of view. Why, why do you think you didn't see it yet? What is missing in Terraform Pulumi that uh, the Ansible of IAC will, uh, will have? Simplicity. But probably by, and I'm, it's a different tool. It's a different goal. You can do similar things with it, but because it takes a different approach, it's much easier. It's a much lower entry for people to get into. Yep. And and sometimes people say, yeah, it's the same you can do, or they look at people who want desired state uh, for their infrastructure and say, yeah, but it's too complex and you're a naysayer because, but it, it serves a different purpose. And the, the question is, is if in the provisioning part of things, if there's going to be something as easy as similar to with such a low entry compared to that, but I'm not sure. You're not sure. And you know, some folks uh, have high hopes when it comes to, to cross-plane as, uh, as the future of IAC. Um, that's another open source in the ecosystem that uh, definitely mm -hmm. yep. worth, uh, worth monitoring. And what, what I really like about yeah, let's let's maybe stop using the word Terraform and stop using the word Tofu in, in, in today's discussion. What I like about the Tofu ecosystem is a lot of providers and modules and other uh, projects, you know, such as uh, Chekhov, for example, to check uh, vulnerabilities in the code. So when you choose the technology, you're not just choosing uh, how you're going to write code in your GitHub. You also, uh, under you also understand how you provide a solution to your company for the different use cases and what are the tools that uh, work in those in that ecosystem can uh, can help you achieve this goal right yep so you know it's we, we more start... than just the tool it is about the whole ecosystem that's around and definitely an infrastructure as code ecosystems definitely so let's zoom in on uh, you know you you start mentioning that Terraform and, and tofu uh, today is uh, January 11th. Uh, yesterday, January 10th, was the, the GA announcement of uh, of Tofu. Uh, share, us, share, share with us a little bit of, of your thoughts about what happened in the last uh, five months. I think a lot of people are waiting for, for this kind of announcement, for really knowing that Tofu is a real thing. And that Tofu is something they can actively use. I mean, I've been replacing Terraform in my ecosystems with Tofu since October. Oh, maybe earlier. You're one of the um, alpha users. Uh, probably. And I mean, it went smooth. It was one-on-one -on -one replacement for most of the things I was doing. Well, for everything I was doing, actually. But when I talk to other people, they go like, yeah, but is it going to continue? Is this just... Is this going to really move forward? And I think with this announcement, people are going to really realize like, okay, it's an open source project. It's a really free license. It's backed by CNCF. There's some people, more organizations were looking into it and they're going to realize it's real. Um, so they might for their next iteration, for their next upgrade, realize like, hey, well, maybe we can just switch. But it, it's still early days. Um, so we need to see what happens there right now to me it looks like well i have abandoned terraform obviously i don't do proprietary software i haven't done proprietary software for 
20 years why would i change why would i suddenly start using it yep yep definitely i i think you're gonna see more and more vendors because their customers like yourself will ask the open tofu support and i i know that some vendors big vendors the names that we all know about are working on adding uh, official support for open tofu they all been waiting for the ga announcement of open tofu so now they can show that they have GA features in their platforms that support the GA of uh, Open Tofu. So I think that's going to be another great answer to folks that uh, ask you about, you know, the maturity of Open Tofu. You can no longer just say, you you obviously can say, yeah, Open Tofu is GA, but I think maybe even more important is to see other other projects and other vendors yeah. actually using uh, Open Tofu for for their users and customers. Um, Cool. You know, you have such a, a impressive background in open source. Why do you think uh, this thing happened? Why do you think HashiCorp made such a, a decision in your point of view? It's a really tough question because I wasn't there. I mean, I can only think and only look at the economy and the industry and say this is the venture capitalists wanting to have a return on their investment and not understanding open source and trying to do something which they think is going to get them more money. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's going to work for them. On the other side, what is the product HashiCorp was making money with? Was that Terraform? Was that Nomad? Or was that something else? Maybe Vault. It probably was fault. Probably still is fault. By the way, have you heard of so, Open Open Bow? Yeah, yeah, and I'm. I think one of the next conferences is going to be just in Japan because of all the foods. But yeah, so we need to figure out what's going to replace console. We need to figure out what's going to replace. We'll find some new project names in eventually. But yeah, I've looked at Bow already. It's also. Engineers from IBM already talking to Linux Foundation. That sounds interesting. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what do you think, you know, for, for a DevOps engineer, a cloud infrastructure engineer, <coughs> well, when they look at the which technology to use, uh, I'll give you my opinion and maybe you should share some thoughts about, uh, about that. Uh, it's... You know, you you as a, an open source guru, sounds like you've been using so many open sources uh, through the years. But I think if I now had to make a decision about which technology to use in some aspect, I would definitely look at the license to see if it's open source. But besides looking at the license, I would look at two, two other things. First, to see who is behind this open source. Is it uh, CNCF, Linux Foundation, something like that? That means that I can sleep better knowing that tomorrow it's still gonna be still gonna be open source, and so that's you know both are open source licenses, but this has more uh, credibility and assurance, not more like total credibility in order to uh, to know about the future and how I do risk management in my company. So that's one thing about who is behind that. The second thing. Let's say it's not supported by uh, CNCF or something like that. 
and it's used by or backed by a vendor or a group of vendors, what is the nature of uh, this open source? Is it really involving the community? And do you have a priority based on the priority of the community? Or is it something is it something else? So if you see a real involvement of the community and being able to influence this project in a, in a way that makes sense, it adds a lot of credibility and dramatically reduces the risk. For example, I remember about two and a half years ago in September 21 that HashiCorp announced that Terraform Core no longer accepts a, a community pull requests. And they said it's temporary for a, for a short period of time. And it lasted for about uh, two years, and then they just changed the license to uh, BSL. So things like telling the community that their pull request is no longer are no longer accepted is a warning, a red flag, a signal about yeah, this. So it definitely, is, because if you look at historically the the project that started shifting to more proprietary or even just non OSI compliant licenses. It was typically projects that were already not accepting external contributions. Yep. Where in a lot of cases, it were open core products where they had a commercial offering with some functionality in there that was definitely something some people would want. But if you would propose that as a contribution externally, they would decline the pull yep. request. And that kind of is the nature of open core when you have a commercial offering, which is deviating from the open source product, people are gonna build on top of whatever you already have out there. And eventually you're gonna compete with your community. Yeah. If you keep it completely open source, then you're not gonna compete with your community. You're gonna have them as collaborators. So the moment that you, you say no external contributions, you kind of already tell, well, we look at you as a competition. Then why would people still want to contribute? Yep. So I think those are very important observations, you know, and I, I really, uh, you know, want to say to our audience here, when you choose a technology, whether it's about infrastructure as code or something else, and you say, yeah, that's fine, that's open source, uh, I think you need to take a, a deeper look before you make such a decision and try to understand the nature of that open source, because one open source is not equal to, to another type of yeah. open source. There's definitely differences, but on the other hand, Sometimes you don't have choice. There's open source projects that are really just backed by a good community citizen, which don't have an alternative where there is not really something out there. And I guess the last couple of years, we've seen a couple of those, where like a couple of those, those risk factors where they say, if this guy say, we're going to go proprietary, then we're all in deep shit. And that's what's happening now. And luckily then there's people who jump up and say, hey, no, well, we take the Last sort of data, we're gonna work this. We're gonna make sure that we can still work and still evolve. But you can't predict it. But you it, can't predict. You can't predict. It's something ten years ago we didn't have to take into account uh, because it wasn't happening. The people that were doing open source were doing it in a lot of cases because of their passion, because of what they believed in. Um, and I tend to believe that early days HashiCorp that also still was the case. I don't know mm -hmm. when it changed, um, but. I mean, I remember the discussion we were having breakfast in in in, in London. Um, Patrick Mitchell, who else was there? Um, yeah. What's his name? And 
forgot forgot the name. And we were having breakfast um, near St. Pancras Station. And Mitchell basically asking Patrick, hey, dude, what do you plan with doing with Vagrant McLeod? Do you want building on top of that? Or and Patrick said, nah, whatever. You do whatever you want with it. I mean, that was the spirit. We were just having breakfast. And that was code. He wasn't yep. planning on doing anything with it anymore. And things started evolving. And things started happening. And I mean, if at that point, somebody else would be in that meeting, in that breakfast said, hey, uh, I'm going to build a proprietary product on top of what you just had as an ID. That would never have happened. That was not something we would be discussing. But if you then look, London was 2013, 2014. If you then look 10 years down the road, it's like, wait, what, what just happened? This was not what we planned, what we saw. Yeah. All right, Chris, those are very interesting uh, thoughts and I hope our audience today uh, get got some uh, food for thought about how to make some uh, decisions when choosing infrastructure as code, when choosing uh, open source frameworks. And I think this was extremely helpful. Uh, so thank you so much, Chris, for joining today and for everybody listening. Uh, please follow up on uh, the IEC podcast.com uh, and also in Twitter. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you.